You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. This is Roxanne Solonen, your co-host with... Aaron Bosch. We are having a great conversation. I know that I'm kind of fired up after that last conversation because I'm really into the pro-life stuff. I think it's, well, it's life and death. It's it's really important. And it's and I'm also someone that likes to, uh, well, when, when God, I'm kind of a Joan of Arc kind of a person. So, <laughs> you know, when I when I see the evil, uh, you know, coming forth, I, I want to do something. I feel called to do something. And so I'm really grateful to know about this because, like I said, South Dakota has been kind of a stronghold for us even. And um, we don't want to, we don't want to, them to lose their footing because that affects all of us. So, Grateful to hear from John. But next, we're going to hear from someone who has uh, been to Lourdes, France. And I'm really excited because I grew up in Poplar, Montana on the Fort Peck Reservation. And our parish was a mission church, and it was called Our Lady of Lourdes. There was a statue of Mary with Bernadette in front of it. And um, one year, when I was probably like in third grade, we watched the Song of Bernadette. And I wanted to be just like Bernadette. And I was hoping that, like, Mary would come and visit me. And then I got really scared because I thought, what if she really does? And then I, I thought, I'm not holy enough. <laughs> so anyway, I have a real love for her. And one of my daughters took her name as their confirmation name. So um, Marlene Watkins, welcome to our show this morning. Well, good morning. Thank you. We're looking forward to hearing from you. And I'm going to let Aaron take over because he has your book right in front of him. And he's kind of taken a little bit of a look at it. But we're going to talk about your book, Everyday Miracles of Lords and Lords Hospitality Volunteerism. So, well, we'll just start with introducing yourself and your organization. So my name is Marlene Watkins, and I'm a housewife from central New York. So um, it's Syracuse, the diocese. So if you looked at New York State, it would be between New York City and Niagara Falls. And um, I just had the great privilege of uh, just an ordinary person that had the extraordinary opportunity to go to Lourdes. My best friend had her business card plucked out of a fishbowl. She won tickets, and she wanted to go to Lourdes. I thought that was the place of the three little children, but that's Fatima. <laughs> so um, I had a lot to learn, and just a great grace and great um, healing and deepening of my faith. And that was in the Jubilee year, 2000. And then I returned again the next year, much to my surprise, the two women who were also seeking to have a, an extraordinary healing or um, grace given to them. And from there, I um, was inspired to um, promise Our Lady that I would come back in one year with 10 good, holy Catholic American women to help um, because we were in the baths. And I didn't know any of this, but at the time, there were about 8,000 volunteers, mostly from Europe. And uh, about 50% of the pilgrims who come to Lord speak English as a first or second language. But out of the 8,000 volunteers, only about 10% speak English. So when you spread that out over from Easter time till All Saints Day, there were not always people speaking English available to be in service at the sanctuary. And so, um, in a great grace, we were able to be the first Lord's hospitality outside of Europe. There were about 270. They were all inside Europe, but there was none outside of Europe. And a hospitality is a public association of the Christian faithful and the Catholic Church under the authority of a bishop. Uh, it can be national or diocesan, um, or it can be religious, like for Franciscans or Carmelites. And the mission is to bring the sick to Lourdes. And they do that in cooperation with the mother hospitality called the Hospitality Notre Dame de Lourdes, which is the hospitality of Our Lady of Lourdes that's there in the sanctuary welcoming the sick that come. 
So we were the first ones outside of Europe. We had the privilege to bring the sick. We've gone um, hundreds of times now, bringing thousands of people in 20 years. And a great privilege. We have young people who come, teenagers with a catechesis program, university students. We're just nearing a 1,000 from Franciscan University um, and also St. John's University of New York. And we have um, medical teams who come. They're all, we're all volunteers. We don't get paid to do this. We pay our own way. Um, it's a tax deduction if you file a long form, but it's not why anybody does it. Um, but it is a nice benefit to have that. And so we go and we bring the sick. And when we say we bring the sick, we bring people on ventilators and on oxygen and um, kidney dialysis. So people that um, want to make that journey but really need to be accompanied by people able to care for them. And it's a great privilege. And over the years, we were witness to extraordinary experiences that people had. And that's what this book is about. Well, I just want to say, Marlene, first off, thank you very much for your assistance getting all those people to Lourdes, because that's a wonderful calling to have in life. And I also have to come clean a little bit. You sent me your book. I have read part of it. I've not quite finished it yet, so I apologize. But from what I've read, it's very, very good. So I just wanted to mention that I have been enjoying it in my office here while preparing for the, preparing for the interview here. And then I also wanted to ask just a little bit more about, so your personal experience when you first went to Lourdes, I believe that's when you had made the promise you would come back and you would bring 10 Catholic women, that sort of thing. What exactly inspired that? Was there like a message or was it just a feeling? What really brought you to start this whole ministry service? Well, the first time that I went, um, I just had a real deepening of my faith and a, and a, and a personal healing that really um, had a huge impact on my personal life. My husband said it's like he brought a broken wife to the airport, and when I came back for the pilgrimage, he said it was like I was uh, new and improved. And um, he jokes, he says, you know, a lot of husbands would be lucky to go to the airport. I said, well, so would a lot of wives, you know, have, have them come back and have... Um, you know, profound deepening of their faith and a healing. So that really changed my life. I didn't expect to go back the next year, but when I did, um, we waited in line for four days to try to get in. It was so crowded. And I didn't know, but it, it came to be the um, the record number of women bathed in the history of Lourdes' Ascension Thursday, 2001. And so it was on that day. And um, we were, you know, getting kind of desperate because our tickets were to return back, and all we did was wait in line for these baths. And um, and these two women, that, that was the whole purpose of them coming. And so um, we, you know, I went over and I asked the man if he could, um, you know, somehow help us. And a woman came and asked, you know, he, he was pleading for me, you know, this poor girl, she's come so far. And uh, so I had written on my palm, like, 5,000 kilometers, and I was flapping my arms like wings, like we flew here this far and trying to explain. And the woman spoke English that came over and she said, um, can you touch her toes? I had no idea why she asked me that, but I just bent over and I still could. And um, I now understand she wanted to know, was I physically capable of bending over and would I do whatever was asked of me without question? Um, and when I stood back up, she said, come with me this day, bathe the sick and the dying, and I give you my words. Those your love will come in. So I went inside as a volunteer, but I thought everybody worked there. I had no idea that the sanctuary has very few employees. It's it's the thousands of volunteers who come and assist uh, during the pilgrimage season that really make it possible for everybody to come. And so I just thought they all worked there, and I was just going to be coming inside to help. And the two women did come in, by the way. And the one woman came back to the church 25 years away from confession, 
she had never really left the church, but she'd been away from the church for three years. And um, and the other woman um, also came back to the church. She'd been out of the church in another church for 15 years, and it changed her life. The one woman, um, you know, died shortly after that, and with a miraculous medal pinned over her heart, great consolation. And the other woman um, became a secular Franciscan and, you know, living a life dedicated in her faith. So we could see it changed the way we live here and, you know, where we can go in the other world. So it was really life-changing. But that still wasn't what I expected. Um, I just went to kiss the floor because that's what we do in the service of the Pacines in the morning before we begin and after the shift. Both uh, There's two shifts a day. And when my lips touched the ground, I felt like a whoosh into my chest, like it was expanded, and I just promised her lady I'd come back. Wow. Uh, I'm kind of fascinated. I'm going to back you up here, Marlene. I'm I'm thinking about the business card and how God drew you to Lourdes, like just kind of on a fluke. That is just, did your friend end up being as involved as you or or was it your heart? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. So she um, she worked at um, a big major pharmaceutical company. So I'm sure there were thousands of cards in these fish bowls throughout the company, but hers is the one that won. And, um, you know, it was on the founding board of directors, still on the board of directors, still was just there in February, um, you know, built her website, um, just, uh, you know, done amazing things throughout the years. So, yeah, it, had, it really had a profound impact for both of us and all of us involved. Well, that's incredible. I'd, I'd have just one quick observation. It's interesting when you read stories about pilgrimages from, you know, the ancient church, even the medieval era up to the modern ages, they really haven't changed. And I mean that in a positive way. It's like the same faith has just grown over all these centuries that people can have these experiences, you know, going to Lourdes over all these centuries or all these other great pilgrimage sites, which I think is just wonderful because I think sometimes people get so downtrodden in our modern world thinking that, oh, all the faith has gone out, there's no light or sparkle anymore, but you go to these places and it really can happen, and it does to thousands or even millions of people every year, so I think that's wonderful to be able to share this story, so just wanted to bring that in, because again, when you were speaking, it was like I was hearing a story from like, you know, 1325 or sometime in the medieval ages, it's just wonderful to hear, and again, I mean that in a positive way, it's not like old or outdated, it's just so living and still ever-present. And, then, and there is something about the journey of going away from everyday life that everything is different and it, it we can either discover God or draw closer to him. There's something about that journey in itself, you're right, that's timeless. Yeah, it truly is. Again, it's kind of like being, you know, St. Paul t- picking up and, you know, carrying the word and just seeing how things go. There's always a big risk involved, but it ends up being very positive for everyone who does it. Marlene, it I'm, I'm curious. Um, if you've, uh, if you can share some of the miracles or the healings that you've, you've experienced, some of some of the ones that you can, yeah, just we'd like to know what you've what you've witnessed in others. Yeah, and so you know that's um, there the Catholic Church. I love the prudence of the Church. There's a scientific evaluation of anybody who claims they've experienced a miracle, like the gospel miracles, the stories of the blind can see and the the you know the dying are living. Um, you know, the lame can walk. So, you know, there's a scientific scrutiny to that to see if it's true and if it's valid. Can science explain how this happened or not? And if science can't explain it, because the medical and scientific community doesn't use the word miracle, that's a holy word, not a medical word, then it's up to the bishop to say, this is the hand of God. God is the one who intervened here for this miracle. So those are the bona fide miracles. So at Lourdes, for example, there's 7,800 over that number of cases of people who've claimed 
um, that they've had an experience that they would call a miracle, and the, then, of course, the scientific evaluation. But only 70 of them have they chosen to go forward and say, these are bona fide miracles from God. But that doesn't mean that all these other experiences aren't just as extraordinary, because they are. If you pick up your stretcher and walk, your sins are forgiven, which is greater. That's to mean that there are, there are some things that happen in body and soul that are equally profound. Absolutely. Well, Everyday Miracles of Lords is the book, and we're going to talk a little bit more after the break with Marlene Watkins, who is the author of this book that was put out by uh, EWTN, and we will be right back with more. So stay tuned, especially if you're in, interested in Lords as I am. Don't go away. We will be right back with more Real Presence Live. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. As Catholic people, we recognize our lives are gifts from God. Blessings received are a result of God's grace and goodness. Our Lord entrusts us to be good stewards of His many gifts. We are called to conduct lives that honor Him and bear witness to our faith in Jesus Christ. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio. As we begin a new year, let's reflect a moment on stewardship. Your life should provide an example to others in the way you live your faith, the way you manage your possessions, and the way you plan your estate and personal affairs. You have spent a lifetime acquiring your assets and living your faith. Fortunately, we can provide you with an estate planning guide that allows you to put all of your important information in one place and enable you to document your intentions. To request an estate planning guide, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. Uh, I remember even during that time, and and this was uh, during the beginning years of John Paul II's pontificate, and whenever I heard him on TV, because he was always in the news, especially with his travels in Eastern Europe, Poland and all, I, I would hear the things that would come out of his mouth and I would go, there's no way this person is not close, closer to God than I am. Mm. Uh, you know. So I always had this sort of secret respect for, uh, for John Paul II. Of course, I never said this to any of my <laughs> brethren friends. You, know? you wouldn't dare. No, of course not. But I... I, I I, I don't mean to disparage them because they taught me to love the scripture. And interestingly enough, even though they, they do not believe in the real presence of Christ in the sacrament, they had communion every Sunday. And so they really taught me to love the Lord's Supper uh, and to love the scriptures. And so I'm really thankful to them for that. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Hello, and welcome back to Real Presence Live. I am Aaron Bosch, and my co-host here is... Roxanne Solonen. And we are here talking with Marlene Watkins, author of Everyday Miracles of Lourdes, and she is just telling us about her book and her experiences visiting Lourdes. And I want to get back into that, Marlene, here. So, again, what inspired you to write this collection of stories and share it with the world? Are these pe- from people that you've known? Because, again, for our listeners here, this is a collection of stories of people who have gone to Lourdes, have experienced miraculous things, have had their lives changed by visiting Lourdes on a pilgrimage. And you wrote this book as a collection. So what, again, inspired that? Do these people you've known? Are they people you've met? Are they just stories you've heard? Where did it come from? Yeah, these are all people that I really know. They're real people. They're current. They're, you know, this era in time. 
And um, I was a witness, privileged to be a witness to their experiences and knew about them firsthand. In the book, the 20 stories, each one concludes with a picture of the person. So in a little update of, you know, what, where they are now or what's happening in their life. And I knew for a long time I, I, that I should write the stories. Our spiritual director would say, this is so incredible, you have to write this down. And, um, you know, I apologize for the beginning of the book, because he's since died, our spiritual director, who is an elderly priest. And um, and I think, well, now there's more stories to tell, but um, there was just a lot of different reasons why I kind of avoided writing, and I thought, nobody will read it. And then I realized a year later, well, I didn't promise our Lord I'd write a book people would read. I just promised I'd write these stories. <laughs> And, uh, and then I went down another rabbit hole for another year that said, oh, well, nobody will publish it, because I read on the Internet, you know, first-time authors can't get published, and I'm not a trained writer, I'm not a credentialed or degreed in, you know, anything with literary. And so then I realized, well, I didn't promise to write a book that would be published either. So I kept on finding these reasons to avoid it, um, and then I finally felt so guilty. I wrote one chapter and um, sent the story to this woman I loved, and she's a school teacher. She had a red pen, so she wrote on it. And, and then I just felt like, at least I got that done. And then, you know, we were really busy bringing the sick to Lourdes. We've gone hundreds of times and thousands of people that we've brought. And, and then COVID came, and the world stopped. And um, I had a very vivid dream. And I don't usually remember my dreams. If I dream, I don't know it. Um, and this dream was so vivid, and I realized that I was supposed to write about this one woman in the dream. And so it took me a few days to find her, and uh, thanks to her young teenage children who came with us as volunteers when they were teenagers, I found them on Facebook and then found her and contacted her, and she said, you know, um, I have to ask my seven adult children, uh, I have to tell them my story, and it was a very personal, painful, intimate story. She said, and then I have to ask my husband if this could be in a book, and I'll, I'll call you back in a few days. So she spoke to all of her family and called back and said, um, I'm a very private person. I, she's also very shy because I know her. And she said, but I just feel that this is so profound, this grace that happened to me. It changed my life. I measure my life from the day this happened is everything before and everything after. So she said, I, I just think that maybe somebody else needs to know how loving God is and how tremendous the graces are that are available to us. And so therefore, go ahead and write the story. So then I sent it to her, and she read it and said little teeny details, like was it a Tuesday or a Thursday, and we, we discussed them and make sure it was accurate. And then every person in the book did this, it's living. They signed a paper that said, this is my story, you have my permission to share it, and it's accurate and true. Um, and a few of the cases of the stories that people have since died, um, but we would ask people who knew them or who were there present or who knew their stories, to read them and make sure that they were accurate. Um, and they're all completely different. The 20 of them, you could read one and set it down and, and pick up and read another. They're not connected or associated, except for the string that's running through this, that's woven through this, is the tremendous, incredible, miraculous graces that take place. And they're all different and unique, and they're all profound and life-changing. And that's something that struck me as I was kind of paging through the book here, that, again, these are all such incredible stories of people who, again, who seemingly had no connection. So I wanted to make sure that, again, I was understanding correctly that you knew all of them. So, again, also, speaking of you as a first-time author, someone who hasn't done too much professional writing, I could not tell at all when I was reading that. I thought it was quite well written, so just wanted to say congratulations on that, because it was very interesting to read here. 
And again, I hopefully will finish this whole thing someday. I've got so many books I'm reading through right now, but I will definitely keep it on my bookshelf as something to keep paging through because it is inspiration. And I also wanted to talk about, again, we're, we're talking about Lourdes, this great, miraculous, and special place. Well, just to go back to the root of this, can you tell us just a, maybe a condensed version of what the actual miracle at Lourdes was? Because I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it, but don't necessarily know. I know we were talking earlier, like we got confused to Fatima and all the other Marian apparitions. Like what, what makes Lourdes Lourdes? Well, Lourdes is in the 19th century, so it's 1858. The Mother of God comes down from heaven on the side of the mountains. It's the beautiful Pyrenees Mountains, which is right near the border of Spain. And on the side of the mountains, there's a little cave, and there's a little opening, a little niche above it. And a beautiful lady made out of flight appears there to this little 14-year-old girl who is illiterate. She can't read and write. She doesn't go to school. She comes from a poor family. And, um, and the first thing they do pray together. No words, it's silence, the silence of prayer. Pope Benedict XVI, Emeritus, said that uh, we need that silence in our hearts to pray, and we all have to really strive for that today because there's so much earbuds, technology, everything around us. So in the quiet of prayer, the first two times they meet, it's total silence, and Bernadette makes the sign of the cross from that moment forward with all of her heart, slowly and, and, and amply, deepness of faith in that prayer. And for us, a lot of us, it's become a good habit or habitual, but we're not really meditating on the three persons in one God, so the Trinity. So it's a, it's really a Christocentric message, although, of course, it's Our Lady that's bringing it to us. She's always bringing us to her son. So then there are 18 apparitions in all, and one of the things that happens is um, that Our Lady uh, asked for Dette to drink and wash at a spring, and there was no spring. She digs in the ground in the mud, and, and the water bubbles up. Since that day, about 35,000 gallons a day, on average 30 to 35,000. And, of course, people are curious. They touch the water, and miracles begin to happen immediately. But ultimately, what happens in these apparitions is the priest is wise. The pastor, he wants to know, who's this lady that asks to have a chapel built there, that asks for people to come in procession? It's the only apparition where Our Lady asks us to come there, and that's why we go there. Um, and so he's wise, he wants to know who's this lady, because Bernadette doesn't know her name, she doesn't know who she is, she never says she's the Mother of God or the Blessed Virgin Mary, she always calls her Akiro, it means that one, and Bernadette's dialect, she said she's too beautiful just to call by any name. And when Bernadette asks her, she says, um, I am the Immaculate Conception. And so it, she reveals this dogma that we've known, and it's only four years proclaimed at that point, something the Church had always known, but gave us for clarification when we asked about it as laity and as people. And so this beautiful name, she tells Bernadette, and the priest knows Bernadette couldn't have read it in French or Latin, that it clearly it's the Mother of God. She's the only one who is the Immaculate Conception, meaning she's conceived in the womb of her mother, St. Anne, without sin, so she's a pure and perfect vessel to give birth to Jesus Christ. So she, the Immaculate Conception, is there in the grotto, and miracles happen. And of course, Lourdes is probably more well-known now for the miracle, for people, they're very biblical. You know, the first one, her woman, her arm is, and hand is crippled, she touches the water, and she's free to move her arm, makes the sign of the cross. The next one is a man who's blind in one eye, touches water to his eye. His vision is restored. So these are very gospel-like healings that take place. And um, it's extraordinary. They continue to this day. Yeah, 
That's incredible. And again, I just wanted to make sure that we covered that story because I needed a refresher as well. So thank you so much for being able to share that with us because it's been a while. As soon as you started mentioning it, I started remembering the story. It's like, right, this is the incredible one of the spring and all the other wonderful things. So again, thank you for that. And then getting back to the book here, would you ever consider writing maybe a follow-up? Obviously, it's just come out not that long ago, so I'm not trying to pressure you into making an immediate sequel, you know, the public demands it, that kind of thing. But would you be interested in possibly doing that at some point and collecting maybe more stories from Lords? Well, that's a great question. I say, I, I think immediately it's sort of like asking a woman in the delivery room if she wants another baby. But <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, and the answer is, of course, you love the babies and, you know, you, you love to have another. Um, there are four chapters in a second book and the, the front minute. So there's the equivalent of about six chapters already written that were um, just that came about and, and are there. But there is no commitment to write a second book. But, the, I mean, these 20 stories are are 20 extraordinary stories, but they're not the only ones. I mean, that's, I think, the beauty of Lords in this book is that these extraordinary graces are happening all the time, and that's why we call them everyday miracles. They're not the official ones of the Church, so of course there are books about those, um, 70 Cures, but this doesn't make them any less profound. They're extraordinary, and they do continue. So, And like you were saying, they're each chapter is so different, they're not connected in any way, so there's you know, you know, a woman stung by a bee that goes into a coma, and she she finds herself in Lourdes, even though she's really in a hospital bed in California, and she says she was following the Blessed Sacrament. There's a beautiful procession with music and prayer, and, and, and she said, you know, if we just go there, we can go to heaven. She was going to heaven following the Holy Eucharist and the Blessed Sacrament procession. And then, of course, when she wakes up, she realizes, mm-hmm. oh, that's the key to heaven. And, you know, so, but her story is very different from someone else. Pardon me? Oh, we're oh, good. Sorry. Yeah, no, we're, it's, it's just letting us know that we're, we got two minutes left, but go ahead. Oh, okay. So, okay. So, but that's different. There's another woman. She's cured of Lou Gehrig's disease, goes through the process for 10 years at the medical bureau. Um, so there are different kinds of stories. She has a physical healing. And then there's, um, you know, people who've had great sufferings in their life, um, you know, really debilitating sufferings of grief and um, abortion. There's uh, people who've suffered abuse, and they find a purity, a grace, a healing, um, a liquid grace fills the holes or fills the cracks within us, um, and they're all extraordinary stories. And one of them doesn't take place in um, in Lourdes, it's somebody in Hurricane Katrina who's screaming for help to Bernadette and extraordinary that, you know, he, he knew he would die and he, his life is saved. So there's all of them are so different um, and so unique that um, they're, they're just, it's a great privilege to witness them and even in proofreading them. And, you know, it, it really did take a little village of, you know, a lot of people helping out to get the book to where it is. Thanks. And we're thankful for that, but they're all great. Thanks, Marlene. I, I want to make sure people know to go to Sophie, Sophia Institute Press. The book just came out in February, Everyday Miracles of Lords, 20 Extraordinary Experiences Along the Way to the Grotto. Get that today. It's just out recently. And we were privileged to talk to you today, Marlene. And good luck with the book launch. And uh, many blessings to you. Thank you. And we'll be back with more Real Presence Live and Tim Mosier and a musical group that he's leading right after this.